everybody, and welcome to another episode of Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and today we're talking about comics. It is New Comic Book Wednesday, and there were some hot picks today. Uh, so I've decided now, moving forward, what I'm going to start doing is I'm going to give you guys kind of a, a brief description and, and some initial thoughts on the comics that I read during the week at the beginning, and then I'm going to go into a full spoiler discussion on the comics afterwards. That way, you can kind of get my thoughts as to what I'm feeling um, without having to skip anything or pause anything. And then if you don't want to hear the spoilers, just pause the podcast, come back later once you've either read the book or decided that you don't care about spoilers anymore and you want to check it out anyway. Uh, Either way, fine with me. But so uh, this week, a bunch of great comics came out today, and I uh, I picked up three of those great comics. But I wanted to kind of go down the line and discuss a few observations that I had uh, today, at least my experience today, uh, at least getting my comics. So um, I went to my comic shop at uh, noon, and the comic shop opens at 11. And they were already, quote-unquote, sold out of the main cover of Powers of 10-2, and uh, the reason they explained, though, was they had enough covers for all of the subscriptions, and then the bonus covers, or the bonus issues, uh, were all damaged. And that's actually happened a lot in my comic shop, unfortunately. I, I blame Diamond, and so do they, but uh, that's neither here nor there. It's just funny because I'm helping out a friend who um, doesn't have access to getting these comics either. His comic shop has been selling out as well. And so I had said, okay, you know, I'll, I'll get you an issue, uh, an extra issue of each of these, and then I'll just ship them to you all at once. And so today I was like, oh no, like there's no, there's no extra covers. And so I uh, went on Midtown Comics, they were sold out there too, was already checking on eBay and they were already selling for more than what uh, the face value of those comics are. And eventually we found one on a website and, and got it there. But I was just, I was laughing because I was like, this is just, I mean, Hickman predicted it. First off, the, sh- the shops are not ordering enough issues of these comics. They're flying off the shelves. They're like hotcakes. And uh, that has been apparent almost every single week. But it it reminded me a lot of when Avengers Endgame came out uh, in theaters for opening night. If any of you remember, the AMC, Fandango, all those websites crashed and no one could get a seat. I remember myself personally, I I was freaking out. I actually left work and drove about 20 minutes to the movie theater and hand-purchased the tickets for myself, my cousin, my brother, my friend, and then also for my second showing uh, with my other friend, and then my third showing with my wife. And uh, it was crazy because there was even a line at the movie theater. So this has kind of got that same vibe. And you know what? if, If there's any comic series that I've read recently that is of the same caliber as Avengers Endgame, I would say it's Jonathan Hickman's uh, House of X Powers of Ten series. So obviously you know which comic I read today of the three, Um, but I'm going to get into some more of these observations real quick. So I pre-ordered a, uh, today, one of the first ones is Absolute Carnage Scream. It's basically a spinoff from the Absolute Carnage series. Uh, There's a variant cover that was by Russell Dowderman. And he is incredible. He is, is a beautiful artist. He the he did War of the Realms. He's done a bunch of other great variant covers. He did a lot of Thor with Jason Aaron as well. It, I mean, if you see his art, if you've seen it before and you just didn't know that was his name, if you saw it, you'd go, oh, yeah, for sure, he's amazing. And so I'm always trying to get his variant covers just because he does such good ones. And so I ordered pre-ordered this variant cover without knowing what it looked like, and it's a design variant cover. And, you know, I guess I have no room to complain. A lot of those pre-orders are a gamble. You're buying them three months in advance, two to three months in advance. So if you don't know the cover, you kind of got to place your bet whether you want to save 35% on the the immediate or spend the full amount and know what the cover is at that time. And so this, you know, I took a chance because I love Russell Downerman, but it's a design variant cover. And all it is is a design of Scream which obviously looks great. Russell Downman did a great job, but it's on a white background. So it's basically like a blank variant cover with a drawing on it, except it's not a personalized drawing. It's just the drawing that he did. So I'm a little disappointed in that, but I'm also interested because it's already sold out on Midtown. So I'm wondering if uh, if everyone else is loving it. I, you know, I have no idea. But uh, another interesting observation I noticed, um, like I had said earlier this week, Captain Marvel 9 came out and... Um, in issue eight, they revealed a new, uh, I think it's just a new hero named Star. I haven't read it yet, and I have this issue on pre-order, but 
the main cover and both of the variant covers are sold out on this one as well. They're both sold out on Midtown Comics. They're sold out on the other website that I had checked and they're also sold out in my comic shop. So this Captain Marvel series is pretty hot right now. And uh, that's obviously because there's a new character. Uh, everyone's always trying to get their hands on those initial, um, the first appearances. But I don't doubt that the story isn't great either because I read the first five issues and Kelly Thompson's doing a really good job along with Carmen uh, Carnero as well uh, in art. And then, uh, were there any others? I'm scrolling down the list right now, and I don't think there was really anything else in terms of... Obviously, most of the Powers of uh, 10-2 issues are sold out on Midtown as well. And, um, yeah, I think that's actually it. Venom did not come out this week, so that must have been a misprint on something that I was reading. I, I think Venom comes out uh, next week or the week after. But, um, but yeah, so that's that's just a couple quick observations. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into these comics. So the three comics that I got today in red were Powers of Ten, issue number two, by Jonathan Hickman and R.B. Silva. Silver Surfer Black, issue number three, <clears throat> by Donnie Cates and Trad Moore. And then Symbiote Spider-Man, issue number five, by Peter David and Greg Land. And I am going to go over them in that order, uh, reverse now. So, Symbiote Spider-Man, issue number five. It, it's, it's a five of five, so it's a mini-series. And um, I think I said this prior as well. The reason I had started getting this series was because Ron Lim was doing a variant cover for each of the comics. And I it liked his art at the time. And now he's not doing as many covers anymore, and I've kind of moved on to some other artists. But... Um, he did he did variant covers for the first four issues and for some reason hasn't isn't doing a variant cover for the fifth issue. The fifth issue just has a main cover. There are no other bonus covers, which is very unlike Marvel. Most of Marvel's comics have at least two variant covers and, and so I was kind of shocked. But so I went and picked up the fifth the fifth one just so I could complete my set. And um, I gotta say, I, I started out reading this story interested. Part part of me is always hesitant to read these when they right when they come out these stories that are set in the past where you know that nothing that happens in here can affect the future because it's basically this takes place when Spider-Man is in the black costume, the symbiote costume. And we know how that ended. He obviously got the symbiote off him and then it went to Eddie Brock and uh, you know, the rest is history. So it's like, okay, well, what are you, what kind of story are you going to tell here? Oh, it's about Mysterio. So Mysterio is the bad guy. I love Mysterio, and so that's kind of what pushed me as well. That and the fact that Greg Land was doing the art. Greg Land is a great artist as well. And uh, I'll, t- I'll say this much. All five of these issues, the art does not disappoint. So if you're a fan of Greg Land, check out this series. But um, beyond that, the story was kind of bland. And, um, I mean, the, the, the gist of it is that Kingpin, I believe it was Kingpin wants, he's like pressuring his scientists to find new and better ways to do things essentially and um he fight spider-man in a separate piece mysterio hires this thug to fight spider-man on his behalf just because he wanted to test he was like he got beat by spider-man in, in the the symbiote suit and was like that that sucked why did i lose here let's test this theory and so he has this guy fight him and spider-man like destroys him just completely wrecks this guy and Mysterio's kind of watching him going like whoa there's uh his suits acting funny like this is really weird and so at this time Black Cat uh, Felicia Hardy is dating Spider-Man and so somehow Mysterio essentially blackmails Black Cat into getting a piece of the suit he's like hey I just want a little piece of this if you don't give it to me I'm gonna he was like I'm gonna I think he said he was gonna tell Spider-Man um, basically a secret of Black Cats. Again, I don't want to spoil the story for you, but she gets the piece, and where we're at in issue five, at the end of issue four, he bonds with that piece of the symbiote, Mysterio does. And so it was gearing up for this final fight to be a fight between symbiote Mysterio and symbiote Spider-Man, which is honestly super cool. And the design that they have for Mysterio is really cool as well. But the fight kind of just, I mean, nothing, when you, you think a symbiote fight, especially after reading Absolute Carnage, you you think it's going to be crazy, it's going to be nuts, and it just wasn't. It was, it was a very, there was, uh, it was at a baseball stadium, so there was a lot of baseball. So if you like baseball, hey, um, you know, batter up, because uh, there's a lot of baseball references in here, specifically a very interesting uh not conversation, but quip from Black Cat about uh, when she's fighting Mysterio. And it 
I guess if you're a baseball fan and, and maybe looking for a little entertainment, it would have been funny. But at the same time, it's just, I don't know. It fell flat, in my opinion. So it, it ended and it, it just kind of ended because you can't put a lid on it because uh, there's more Spider-Man that comes after it, right? Like there's more issues. And of course, in the MCU way, this is the first time I've actually seen this, but the very last page at the, after, you know, after the story is done, it just says, Symbiote Spider-Man will return. And it's like, okay, all right, yeah. Well, we know he's going to return because there's a absolute carnage symbiote Spider-Man. I don't know if it's a one-shot or if it's another miniseries by Peter David uh, coming out. I'm not going to get it. I'm going to probably just wait for Marvel Unlimited on that one. But it just it, it was a very one-and-done sort of thing. So, again, if you're in the business of trying to save money, maybe just wait for this to come out on Marvel Unlimited. But if you like the symbiote suit, you like baseball, you like, that whole time period with Black Cat and the symbiote Spider-Man, all that stuff, check it out. Because like I said, it wasn't terrible by any means. It's just the ending kind of fell flat. Overall, it was a good story. It was it was definitely worth checking out. Um, but then the next one is Silver Surfer Black. And uh, this is by Donny Cates and Trad Moore. And uh, this book blew my mind. Just the same way that issue two blew my mind and the same way that issue uh, one blew my mind. This the art on this alone, it just, it's, there's, you know, there's the scene in Doctor Strange when the Ancient One blasts him through all of the different dimensions and multiverses. He's got all the hands crawling all over him and, and, you know, who do you think you are in this, this greater universe? That is essentially this comic series. That entire sequence is this comic series. I wish I could show you the art on here, but uh, it's just, it's phenomenal. It's so good it's uh it's more this is more of just a painting with words attached to it than it is a story with uh you know with with drawings on it it's it the art is just that good even i mean you can see it if you look at the cover of this comic and go wow that's that's pretty crazy it's crazier inside so check it out inside because trad moore's doing the cover so if you like the cover check out the art and again that's a that's a big props to uh, to this team and also quick shout out to symbiote spider-man as well i love a comic series where the cover art is by the same person that's doing the art on the inside because i cannot tell you how many times i went wow that is a piece of art by looking at the cover and then i open up the comic and go ooh, okay maybe not um, and again, no disrespect to any artist out there. I know everyone's got different um, different things that they like. Art is subjective. There's certain artists and or art. There's certain art that I don't like. There are probably not any artists that I don't like, but art themselves, I'm not a fan of that kind of art. So I'm really happy that that that's what it was. And that's all I'm going to say about this because the story itself is really interesting. And like I said, I don't want to spoil any of it because it's that good. So uh, check out Silver Surfer Black any way that you can, whether that's purchasing it digitally, going to the store and buying it. You could wait for Marvel Unlimited if you wanted. But like I said, there's still two more issues of this. Null, the symbiote, the god of the symbiotes is in this story so I just have to believe that something is going to tie this into Venom or Carnage. And, and if it doesn't, fine. But I'm just saying, if that's the case and there's some huge reveal in issue five, you're probably going to wish that you had all five of those comics in, in your backlog as a collector's item. So that's Silver Surfer Black. And if, if me telling you that that amount of information, which was probably a minute or two on Silver Surfer Black, not wanting to spoil anything else, why don't I tell you this about Powers of Ten number two? Buy the issue. That's all I'm going to say is buy the issue because you've heard me talk about this series already in prior podcasts. This series is everything right now. I mean, I haven't I haven't bought a X-Men comic since Uncanny X-Men number one. And the only reason I bought that was because it, there was a Marco Djurjevic variant cover and a Jen Bartel variant cover. And I had to get those variant covers. Um, and then the story was a bonus and it found out obviously, like I've said, Uncanny X-Men is amazing. So it made me want to read it, but I've just had bad luck with the X-Men over the years because the story is just the same over and over. It's always the same. And Jonathan Hickman is making such a different story. It is so out there, so wild and so sci-fi. So check it out because I don't want to spoil a single thing about this other than you're not going to be able to find the issue in print. If you can, uh, rats off to you for that because uh, 
I couldn't. I mean, I got my copy because I had a hold on it, but uh, in terms of an in-store copy, haven't seen one. So purchase it digitally if you have to because just don't miss out on this and and this whole ride. Things are changing for the X-Men in a big, big way. And with that, I'm going to see about pausing things right now. I was going to say I'm going to see how long I can hold my breath so that you guys can have a chance to pause it, but literally pausing takes two seconds. So at this point, I am going to start talking full spoilers on these comics. And uh, so pause it, come back if you need to, or hang on just a minute and we will get started. You still there? Okay, so um, spoilers for Symbiote Spider-Man nothing there's no there's no spoilers for this comic like i said there's there's a really cool fight and what i'm going to do for you guys too is uh, i'm kind of just going to go through the panels as i have it up on my computer right now and if there's anything that kind of catches my eye i'll let you guys know but <clears throat> like i said the art is spectacular it's so good greg land does a great job oh there's actually i forgot to mention too an interesting development with aunt may in here and it's not even i thought it was going to turn into something but Essentially, the the whole backstory with Aunt May and Peter in the series is that she um, they're supposed to have be having like lunch or breakfast or something, and of course Peter can't make it because he's fighting Mysterio, and uh, she's like, "Do you know what time?" To the waitress, "Do you know what time it is?" And she's like, "You waiting on somebody?" She's like, "For an hour, maybe the subways aren't working." And he the the, the lady's like, "Well, they're working. I can see them from right here," and she's like, "Oh," or he said, "She's like, I'm sure they'll be along." And May's like, oh, I'm not so sure about that. He's very busy these days. And she's like, doing what? Nothing that I know of. He was a student. Now he's nothing, really. And sounds a little harsh, ma'am. Trust me, my dear. It's a harsh world. And I was like, damn, Aunt May. Jeez, you don't have faith in Peter? I get that you don't know that he's Spider-Man. But I thought, I mean, she, even the way that she's kind of drawn in here, she looks like she's... Uh, She's not going to take any crap today, and I, I'm kind of—I feel bad for Peter, especially because in this story at this point, the symbiote is kind of taken over Peter, and that's—that's that's sort of what the story is shown is that, you know, a lot of these times that he's gone out and fight, he's just been sleeping. Peter's been sleeping, and the symbiote's doing the work for him, which is kind of scary. And um, and so he's fighting fighting this symbiote um, Mysterio, which is pretty cool. Black Cat gets in on the fighting, and. Um, and then she, what does she do? Oh, Mysterio, in all of his infinite wisdom, uh, sprays fire at Spider-Man, exploding this car. And obviously, if he's the one doing the fire and he's got symbi the symbiote on him, obviously the symbiote's going to get off of him. And he's like, oh, what's happening? What's going on? Is it afraid of fire? And then the symbiote just goes right back to Peter Parker. And he's like, all right, time to shut this down and just beats the crap out of him. But um, there's just the scene where uh, what I was trying to say earlier was there's a scene in here where Black Cat grabs a bat and starts hitting Mysterio in the head. And she's she goes, she says something like, it's time to hit it out of the park. And then she she hits him in the head and goes, one. And I was like, one what? Oh, this is what it is. Okay, so Mysterio then makes a dinosaur out of, uh, you know, his, his tricks, there's a dinosaur running around and people are going, Oh my, Oh my God. And, uh, so black cat busts him in the head. She goes, cause it's one hits him in the head two hits him in the head again. And then three strikes and hits him and knocks him out. That's all on one page. And then says he's out. And I was like, uh, okay. Didn't land for me. But when she says she's out, you got black cat, posing with the bat in her hand over a knocked out Mysterio, which is pretty cool. But all these people too, you know, they're really trying to date this series to make it feel like it's in that time period. The dinosaur disappears and they're like, oh, where'd it go? Someone says, I bet that was a publicity stunt for the new Spielberg dinosaur movie. Frickin' Spielberg, guy's a genius. Hasn't made a good film since E.T. Heard he was a Yankees fan. That figures. Like, okay, all right, all right, that's enough. So, then, you know, Spider-Man races back to the diner, and there's a little note that says Peter, and uh, he's like, oh, you know, this lady's like, are you Peter? And he's like, oh, yeah, is she okay? She's fine. Honestly, she didn't seem surprised that you didn't show. And then it shows him, look at this note, and then almost look a little sad, he crumples the note up, and then he calls Aunt May, the last, this last page of this, he calls Aunt May and is like, hey, it's Peter, I'm so sorry, geez, yeah, two hours, I know, it's just, look, something came up, I wasn't, I, I got, hello, 
Aunt May, hello? Crap. How could my luck get any worse? And that's the end of it, is a zoom in on the, the symbiote costume when he says that. So it's like, I was a little depressed that Aunt May is being that way to him. Um, and I hope that's comics accurate with the prior comics. I know during that time period, he always had to butt out and Aunt May kind of, uh, you know, they make they make up. But I was just like, geez, that's how you want to end it? And then, yeah, it says symbiote Spider-Man will return with a little, a little hobgoblin uh, period at the bottom, which, again, you know... It, Okay, sounds good to me. I love Hobgoblin just as much as I love Mysterio, but I just make the story a little more interesting for me if you could. So that was Symbiote Spider-Man. Again, like I said, it, it it was kind of a miss for me, and there's a lot of missed opportunities in it. But it gives me a great segue to get into some comics that I loved, including Silver Surfer Black number three. Again, Donny Cage, Trad Moore, we got uh, Dave Stewart, the colorist, and, of course, working overtime, VCs, Clayton Cowles as the letter. Um, just so you guys know, again, I want you to pick this up. This series is insane, but here's what it says. After falling through a black hole, the Silver Surfer landed on a decaying planet billions of years in the past. So this black hole takes him into the past, which is super cool. There... He was attacked by the source of the planet's infection, Null, god of the symbiotes, who attempted to infect Surfer as well. Chased by Null and his massive symbiote dragon, which, again, Trad Moore doing that dragon in the last issue, oh, just buckle up. Surfer was forced to call upon his power cosmic to temporarily repel them. Now, with his arm blackened and drained of the power cosmic, the Surfer seeks refuge with an unexpected ally, Ego, the living planet. And that that was essentially how the last issue ended, was Ego kind of helped him out, knocked the symbiote and Null back, um, and saved him, essentially, but, you know, only delaying the inevitable. But so this story, and, and, and you keep forgetting that it's set that far in the past, but the story starts out with a dream of uh, Norn Rad thinking about the woman he loves, and I'd like to um, say my first complaint about this issue, which is not necessarily a complaint about the story or the art, but more about not necessarily even continuity because I, I can totally see where this is coming from. But essentially, he just has this dream about his one and only um, Shala Ball and uh, just about this day that he wishes he had kids with her. And he says that's the only moment where he knew peace. And then they, you know, there's some basically a giant black silver surfer shows up and it's a double page spread with just the trippiest art. And we find out it's a dream, but it's essentially, obviously, this dream. And the surfer opens his mouth and all these tendrils come out, symbiote tendrils, red and black, destroying the entire planet. And you find out that he's dreaming. But um, it's still a cool visual. But what I was bumming me about is I'm a huge fan of Dan Slott's silver surfer run. I have the omnibus. Um, I always hate saying that word, but I have the giant book that contains the entire story of Dan Slott's run. And in that story, Silver Surfer meets with and falls in love with Don Green, Don Greenwood, who um, is like is a regular human who lives in Massachusetts. Her uh, her father runs a lighthouse and she goes on him with all these adventures. They fall in love. It's it's such a touching series. I cried multiple times reading it. To see the Shalabal thing, I was like, well, wait a minute, where's where's Don at? Is is uh, what's going on there? And so I get it. If it's a dream, you know, and he's thinking of his his one true love, I'm sure that's who it was because that's you know he's been around for it's all it's always your first. But uh, so then it cuts into ego, and ego starts explaining some things to him. He basically read ego read his mind, so he knows what's going on. And I was like, well, why is ego acting this way? And I was like, oh, wait a minute, that's right. He's like, a, this is at the beginning. He's a billion years old. And um, he, so like he says that there's some sort of uh, problem inside him. He says there's an infection. He says, he says, I'm a young planet. I'm growing. Think nothing of it. And he's like, no, ego, if you know that there's all to know in my mind, then you must know that what I ask of you. Oh, he's basically asks him to help him uh, fight against Null. And, um, to give Silver Surfer more power because he lost a lot of it in this, in trying to escape, which is really cool. He's got this whole black arm, but essentially he, um, he says, I'm going to go in there and he says, there's, he goes, says, there's something inside me, something crashed into me, like a meteorite or something. It's growing, it's killing me. And he's like, ego, I'm going to go fix this for you. And, uh, this, I, again, I think I've said this once, I'm going to say it a million times. I love a story 
where the main character or something about it where they're overpowered, where they're incredibly overpowered. I know certain people don't like that. Totally fine if you don't like that because, you know, we, we love our grounded superheroes. But I'm a huge fan of whenever, like, whenever Naruto accesses the nine-tailed fox chakra or whenever Deku uh, from My Hero Academia is using one million percent of his power or whenever Goku is going Ultra Instinct or some sort of form of Super Saiyan Blue with Super Saiyan God, anytime anybody is having some giant power-up and fights that way, I'm down for that because the visuals, I, I'm, I'm there for the visuals. And that happens in this book. Uh, basically, it, and they do it in such a good way because it's like, yeah, Silver Surfer's injured and hurt, but uh, Silver Surfer's like, oh, Ego, I see your wound, the pain you must be in. He says, Norn, you do not understand I'm a planet, but I am alive. My immune system is designed to kill tectonic cancers and deep celestial hyperlight viruses. You have never faced anything like me. And Silver Surfer turns his board into a giant drill and says, I have faced more and worse, Ego, and I will face this as well. And, uh, and so, yeah, he keeps just saying like, oh, you know, be careful. And then there's another beautiful double page spread of him literally drilling through a planet and it, it does little zoom ins of different areas. And, oh, uh, again, Donnie Cates is such a brilliant writer. So the, the, the prose that's going on while surfers, you know, thinking flying through here. And so you fl he flies into the core and finds it's like a big box and it's like, oh no. And he's talking about, uh, he he's saying it's uh, not impossible. He's like, you know, he's in pain right now, but this isn't impossible. It's never impossible for the Silver Surfer. And uh, he says, God, there's just the core of this planet burns hot enough to reduce most living things to atoms, to beings such as myself wrapped in the power cosmic. It is warm. Still, I am not what I once was. And as my black arm erupts to flames, I fear I should not tarry in this place. And then he sees it. And um, the final page of it is, it is inside of Ego is the, uh, the life bringer one, the cosmic incubator of Galactus. And so, holy cow, I've not said this yet, but Galactus is one of, Galactus and Silver Surfer are one of my favorite duos in Marvel Comics, absolutely bar none. I love the dichotomy between the two of them, the uh, you know the stories that have come from them, the fact that he must feed, that he's not necessarily a villain or a good guy, that he's just there. I loved the whole story of him becoming the life the life bringer in um, Al Ewing's Ultimate series. Basically, I haven't had a problem with anything that's been done with Galactus and Silver Surfer. I just love their stuff, and uh, so to have that be the ending makes a lot more sense as to what's coming next because it says. Uh, um, Basically, the surfer discovers something with the power, the potential power to turn the tide. Is he prepared to pay the terrible price for awakening it? Because when you think about it, and that's where it really hit me, was this is the incubator of Galactus because this is billions of years ago. So Galactus technically doesn't exist at this point. Would surfer risk waking Galactus to help in this situation? And does that retcon everything in that? Galactus was awakened by his herald Silver Surfer way back in the past and if he hadn't have woken him would he have been able to save his planet in the first place lots of questions and I guarantee you Donny Cates is going to do his best to answer most of them uh, I have no doubt but like I said it's it's only a five issue series and those issues are only $3.99 so they're super super easy to get a hold of and um Again, art alone is worth it, but when you combine that with the with the story and then the fact that it's Donny Cates and uh, the fact that it's Silver Surfer and that they've got ego in it and that Null is in it, it's just it's a it's a treat that we never asked for, but we always needed and we always wanted. We just never knew it. And that's Silver Surfer Black Three. Finally, the meat, the meat and potatoes, Powers of X, issue number two. Powers of Ten, issue number two, by Jonathan Hickman, R.B. Silva, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pop to that screen. It's got to be here soon. I know the. There we go. Okay, R.B. Silva and Adriano Di Benedetto on inkers, and then Marte Gracia is the color artist, and V.C.'s Clayton Cowles is doing the lettering. Man, if I was if I was Mr. Clayton Cowles. I would be I would be framing these issues, saying, "Hey, I had a part in this. This is awesome." So. Much, oh man, I don't know. You know, where do you even start? I'm gonna start at the beginning. 
uh, like I said, these are spoiler. These are spoilers. So this is this is under the assumption that either you want to know everything that's happening in these issues, or that you've read them and that you're wanting a second opinion on what it was that you just read, because you're either having trouble processing it, just like everybody else, or because you need you just need a second pair of eyes, and uh, that's fine. Because guess what? I'm going to be those eyes for you. Uh, so this story starts with. Obviously, Hickman doing his thing with the blank white page. It says, there is a chasm between you and I, Charles, a gap that cannot be crossed with each passing day. I fear it never will be. And uh, that just kind of sets the stage. And of course, XO, the X-Men year one. Holy cow, it's Moira McTaggart and Professor Xavier at Island M in the Bermuda Triangle. Island M, that sounds kind of familiar. It sounds a little bit like Asteroid M. Well, it is. It's it's Island M. It's the place of Magneto. And boy, does Magneto love monologuing. And essentially, he just says, what are you doing here, Charles? And he says, I'm here for you, old friend. And um, this is, again, this is before the X-Men were even created. This is year zero. This is right at the beginning. So Magneto is essentially a bad guy. They're at odds. And um, if they're retconning everything, we don't necessarily know why, but the only thing we can assume is that they have differing ideals at this point, right? Professor Xavier wants to be, uh, wants all mutants to be united, and Magneto wants mutants to be at the top, wants them to be the only ones, they're the superior race. And uh, so he says, uh, basically, I cannot tell you how much it would please me to know that you and I stand side by side in the coming days. But I've learned hard lessons and no longer believe there's a place in the world for both your dreams and mine, old friend. And ooh, and this is where God, like I said, Hickman's writing. There's those. There's just those certain storytelling tropes that when you're watching a movie or reading a book, you're going, "Come on, come on! You don't like, don't do that! Don't do, don't be so stupid!" And uh, and they happen. And you're like, "Ah, oh, man!" I mean, typically it happens in scary movies where you're like, "No, don't go out there! That's so dumb." Or, well, no, especially in scary movies when it's like the kid sees the ghost or the demon and it's like, it's a demon. And now, okay, kid, okay, whatever. And then they never believe him. And then the parent dies and it's like, well, I, you know, I told you so you you dumb idiot. And uh, so in this instance, what would that be? Right? What, what, what could that be in this one? That could be if you've got a character like Moira McTaggart, who has seen everything what would the logical thing be to do? Would be to show everyone that you saw everything, right? It would be seeing is believing. So what does she do? She shows Professor Xavier. That makes so much sense. So how do you get Magneto to get on your side? Simple solution. You have Moira McTaggart show him everything. Is that what Hickman does? Hell yeah, that's what Hickman does. And oh my God. So he's again, and you have to you have to chew on this writing because Magneto is just monologuing oh mac taggart ah do you have any insights into why the professor is acting the way that he is like um dude yeah because of me and um she says well you know i i could tell you but uh, the truth is pretty profound and she says let me ask you this um in a war in this world who determines what is truly good and what is truly evil what would magneto say i do i decide and so Xavier says, then open your mind to us and we will sh- figure out what we're going to do about all this. And he says, well, how do I know this isn't some sort of game? And it's like, dude, man, just just open your mind, man. Just do it. And he says, please, just this once, trust me. And that just that panel, the sun is shining behind Xavier. It's kind of coming on his face. He's got the great Xavier eyebrows, those, those very thin, very bushy eyebrows. Magneto takes his helmet off. Magneto, or Xavier has Moira, he holds Moira's hand and then telepathically shows everything to him. And oh, that scene is just so good. Like you've been waiting for that, right? You've been waiting for that since the beginning, since the very beginning of getting Magneto and Xavier to be on the same side for once, finally. And he's like, oh, you, you're you're a mutant and all, all those lives. Was it real? Yes, and that's uh, that's Moira. Yes, I am a mutant, and yes, that was as real as it gets. And he's like, why would you show me that? All of these failures every single time. And Xavier says, because her truth is profound and life-changing, and apart, we always lose. 
We believe it's only together that you and I, that all of our people can survive. And, um, well, as this page loads, but uh, he basically says, oh, that's the page that didn't load last time. I'm going to whip this one out real quick because he, just like every Powers of X issue so far, it's done a little bit of year zero, a little bit of year 10, and then a little bit of year 100 and a little bit of year 1000. And so when each of those years ends, it's you, you guaranteed, I hope at least I did, you guaranteed you're going to get chills when you read that because he says, you, you, Charles, you know better than this. I'm not interested in survival. And it's like, well, yeah, yeah, right, right. And Moira's like, good, because I'm not either. I believe that one thing we haven't tried yet is the thing that just is more than surviving. It's thriving, assuming our rightful place on this earth. We have a plan, says Xavier. It's ambitious and long-term. Join us. And he basically says, I'm like, Xavier, if I join you, like, I'm not giving up, essentially, like, I'm not going to acquiesce to anything. If you slip or even falter, know that I won't like I am not going to give up on this because he agrees with that. He wants them to be the dominant species. And uh, Xavier just says, and it's again, it's a it's a it's a one panel, a wide panel with Moira and Xavier on one side, Magneto on the other. And Magneto is just standing so ominously over him it says uh, Xavier says, I would expect nothing less. And then the next panel, the end of this time period, is them shaking hands. And I was, oh, that's a fist bump. Oh, yeah. So that part was awesome. And then it opens up into Powers of X. Bum, bum, bum. And then year 10. Year 10, we're back on Krakoa. And we get to talk with Cyclops, who's like, okay, what's going on? What am I looking at here? And so at this point, Xavier is explaining to Cyclops what Mystique got from that raid in House of X-1. And so what happened was they broke in there and they stole the little USB drive, which apparently has the um, the schematics for the mother, the mother mold, which is a master mold that makes other master molds in orbit around the sun. I've got a lot of work to do when it comes to catching up with certain pieces of X-Men, but as I understand it, these master molds were what created the Sentinels, or, or sort of create the Sentinels, create Nimrod, all that sort of stuff. But the ma- the mother mold creates master molds. So essentially, instead of creating one Sentinel, you could probably create a million Sentinels. And so at this point, they're kind of catching up with what we already know, which is that Orcus is the group that's fighting against the mutants, they basically know that humanity is going to be done soon and they want to kill all the mutants, eliminate them so that humans can stay alive. And uh, it's a mixture of shield, aim, sword, hammer. And what I want to point out on this is Jonathan Hickman has been talking about hammer in these series because hammer was used during Dark Reign. That was the sort of quote-unquote shield that uh, Norman Osborn started. And that, to me is one of the most important unsolved mysteries in the Marvel Universe. What does Hammer stand for? Back in the day, when Brian Michael Bendis put that stuff out and put out Hammer, Marvel was very clear that, oh, you're going to find out who who Hammer is. You're going to find out what those letters mean, because it's an acronym. It's H-A-M-M-E-R. And even in an article that I read, they had a link to it. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, here we go. I'm going to finally find out what it is because it's been, that was like 2008. And so it's been over 10 years at this point. We still haven't got an answer. Clicked on it, just took me to the link for Hammer, which has no information other than um, Norman Osborn tasked Abigail Brand with coming up with what that name meant. Why would you create an acronym like that and then not have something to name it after? Uh, I have no idea, but they still haven't. Though if I, if I have one ask... Jonathan, I know you've been listening and I know, uh, I have got some work to do. I know I can do better. I can be better on these podcasts, but I just, I got to ask you for one thing, um, as a loyal listener, please tell us what hammer means in the, in this series. I don't care if it's in house of X or powers of 10, please tell us because I need to know what hammer means. I've been wondering for 10 years, please. And, um, so this is where it gets even better. Cyclops and Xavier are having this conversation. Uh, basically, we've got to stop them, essentially. We need to figure out how we can stop them. And um, they're like, I don't get it. You know, this this next generation Sentinels, that's what the, the motherboard is creating. They're like, I think this is where Nimrod becomes operational. And, and Cyclops is like, oh, damn. 
and it's got a big picture of him. But then, ooh, here com- here comes oh the the second fist pump, and and it's a give or take sort of fist pump, and I'll tell you why in a second. But so Xavier turns to him, he says, "Listen to me, Scott. They have to be stopped." And um, he says, uh, "Magneto's there too," and he's like, "Remember, this will be a frontal assault." tens of millions of miles away on a space station built by a secret organization whose sole purpose is the extinction of mutants. Can such a thing even be done? And uh, Cyclops pauses and looks at Xavier and says, does it need doing? And Xavier says, yes. And then the final thing just is, is, oh, just a close-up of Cyclops. And he says, then it will be done. Oh, man. But will it be done? Because then the next thing is year 100. And um, at that point, obviously, we know a lot of bad things are happening in year 100. The uh, Wolverine is with uh, Rasputin and Cardinal, the two new mutants that we learned about in the last Powers of Ten issue. <clears throat> Rasputin has the powers of a bunch of different mutants. Cardinal is like a red nightcrawler. And um, they give they give this they they got a chip as well, which they give to the old man that was being talked about in in Powers of Ten One, and we find out that that's Apocalypse. So essentially, the X Men are being led, as we know it at this point, are being led by Apocalypse a hundred years from now, who at this point is essentially like the the new Xavier. He's like, give me your eyes, children. For this, I would have sacrificed all of you. It means that much. But uh, <clears throat> at the same time, Nimrod is talking with some of his uh, his followers, trying to tell them kind of what's been going on, and they're like. Um, no, he's like, oh, I'll tell you. And one of them's like, no, really, I'd rather you keep talking to yourself. And then says, oh, I apologize. It's been a costly day and I'm tired. And then the other guy's like, he's like, and you, my other human friend, are you weary as well? Of course not, Nimrod. I don't believe you. And then he just destroys both of them and grabs their skull Hamlet style. And it's like, ah, I, uh, basically he's trying to figure out what the mutants are up to right now. But the problem is they had a mutant who had a blackout power where no one could detect them. That mutant died. I believe they were either died. It doesn't matter if they died or captured that both of those other two mutants in, in powers of 10 kind of are gone. So now they're like, I don't know how we're going <clears> to <throat> come up against them because we have no, like we're not hidden anymore. They know where we are. We find out that that giant Groot-like person is the island of Krakoa as a, as a whatever, disembodied bodied human. Zorn is in it as well. We get some good stuff from them. And uh, he just, oh, man. the, the and I, I, Some of this, I don't want to go through all of it because I, I'd love for you to read it too and let me know your thoughts. But Zorn's, uh, Zorn's piece of talking in here was so good. And uh, Magneto's in here too. Obviously, he's got a beard. But... Uh, yeah, they're essentially like, I don't know if we can do this because they're going to know we're coming. There's, I think they're planning an attack. And he's like, we're, you know, we... And Zorn's like, I've never been more excited about anything in my entire life. So that was pretty cool. But what I love is how how much Apocalypse and Magneto are, are sort of in the same vein now. Like, they kind of have the same beliefs and which are kind of the same now as Xavier's. He says, I know we were never going to stop the machines, the technology, the future. It's unavoidable. Some could say it's inevitable. Uh, the question I have is why is it always aimed at us mutants to test us, to see if we are fit to survive? We will go and take what we need, and then we will return. This is a promise whose guarantee is assured, for I will lead you. That's Apocalypse. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'll follow him. I'll follow Apocalypse. That's that's insane. He's going to hopefully kick some ass. And then from there... Uh, we get a bunch of uh, Hickman-esque ex- explanations about Nimbus, which is uh, essentially a world mind, a planet that is an entire world mind. And uh, then we, we move into year 1000. And so what's happening here, I had to read this multiple times, but you get a quick story of year 1000, and then you get another Hickman info about different types of societies, both planetary and galactic. And this is where the true, I think, the true power of 10 comes in, because you have different people of different types of intelligence levels. Level one is machine, and that's like a single machine mind, so you could take that as like a person, whatever, one thing. Um, Intelligence level 10, that's a hive mind. And then uh, intelligence level 100 to 10,000 is called intelligence. And that is a thinking machine created to be an amalgam of at least 100 machines acting towards a collective goal. That's And that is, they he equates it to, that is the supreme intelligence of the Kree. Then there is a 10,000 intelligence, which is a technarch, and that is a artificial collective intelligence manufactured by the phalanx, who are making a comeback, I guess, and their purpose 
is uh, is uh, removing and repurposing of societies, but they have no idea that they are working for the phalanx, like that they were born with one purpose to serve the phalanx. Then uh, intelligence level 100,000, that is a world mind, which is a celestial object, commonly a planet, that has been wholly converted into a singular in- intellect. So this planet that these characters are on in year 1000, it's a world mind. And then intelligence level 1 million, that is the phalanx. And so he's writing that the phalanx are an interstellar society that operates on a galactic scale and represents an intellect that has total control of a host galaxy. Not just a planet, a galaxy. And what they do is they exist only to expand their own intelligence by consuming lesser societies and controlling the energy needs that expansion demands. And it says, if a, ph- if a phalanx encounters a society that is worth consuming by adding to its intelligence needs, then ascension occurs. If a phalanx encounters one that's not worth it, then it will seed that, and that virus will eventually produce a babble spire that will summon a technarch to remove and repurpose it. And then it says, yeah, technarchs do not know that they are manufactured for this purpose. So essentially, the phalanx is kind of floating around in the galaxy looking to consume knowledge. And when they find a galaxy that's worth it, they they eat it. They, they It's the ascension takes place. They absorb this into them. But if it doesn't, then they basically say they, they hire these technarchs to come and destroy it. So what happens in this is... Um, that, and, and so it's nice because the way that Hickman does it, you get the story first. And then you get that explanation. So the story is kind of confusing. It almost is easier to read that explanation first because a thousand years in the future, the librarian, that character that I personally think is a future Xavier, or maybe it's the Nimrod that's there, but he basically says, so Nimrod, did it work? And Nimrod's like, normally civilizations of our maturity only attract universal predators. This is because of the perceived value of this system is found in its resources, not in the culture. Our system is a place to be mined, not preserved. And says um, they decided to convert Nimbus, which is the planet, into a replicant world mine and show the universe what we're capable of. And it seems we've snared a giant. So, librarian, did it work? And the librarian says, I think we're about to find out. And all of a sudden we start seeing these black mists swirling around the planet. And all of a sudden the phalanx shows up and says, we ate your world mind. Uh, they thought they fought for sovereignty and lost, but we, phalanx, saw the whispering gods behind it. We have heard your message. Now, hear ours. What do you seek? That's, a, I guess, a little bit like, what do you seek? The uh, Monty Python. Um, and then the librarian looks at him and says, ascension. And then that's the end of it. And I was like, what? What? No! And there's even more. There's another one that shows all the different like doohickeys for the intelligence, the hive. So uh, the question that I have, the question I'm sure you all have, what does this mean? What does this mean? Uh, the answer to that is, I don't know. I have no idea. I am just floored. I am floored at this. Um, my thoughts on it, though, is this. Why would a thousand years into the future, humans are essentially gone. They've been relegated to a zoo. And at this point, the entire planet is mutants and machines. So at this point, we know Hickman has a theme in his stories at this point, which is biology versus technology. And who's the, who's going to be the victor? Is it going to be the machines or is it going to be the mutants? And Who's going to evolve quicker, essentially? Is technology going to evolve or are the mutants going to evolve? And... Uh, I think this is interesting because a thousand years into the future, essentially, again, we don't know why, how, we don't know half of it, but it's like the mutants kind of won, right? Their their mutants are around, the humans have been kind of put into a zoo, and so why then would you give up your entire world mind planet that you've worked so hard to make? Why would you give that up to ascend? Why would you assimilate yourself into the phalanx and then to disappear from existence at that point, to become part of the whole, essentially? Um, and so that that only takes a couple of minutes to think about that is why indeed would you do that? There's got to be another reason. And we're obviously going to find out why. But my I don't have a, a, a fixed theory at this point because I haven't talked to anybody about this. this. These are my initial thoughts. This is everything from just me reading. I have not talked to a soul about this book. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if they're wanting to absorb uh, almost like what what if a computer program absorbs itself into the computer 
and that computer program has a virus that was purposely put into the program, like in a lot of movies, that then infects the entire computer and shuts it down. But the computer doesn't know that because it's just a regular program. It's like a virus that's encrypted in the program and it can't tell. And then boom, they beat him. Maybe this is the same thing. Maybe they've got some sort of plan with because they said they built this this world mind themselves. So maybe they have this whole grander plan that Xavier started in year zero that they they've realized that maybe th- there's got to be something there that this is um, this is what the future is needs to be that maybe they absorb with the phalanx and then take out the phalanx. Um, or maybe they actually want to be a part of it, and that's the true ending of um, humanity as a whole. Is we are just meant to be absorbed in some giant, some greater, um, some greater place. I mean, not to get too deep, but philosophically, we're just one planet in a thousand planets, and and everything that we've done on our planet is relegated specifically to just our planet. I don't think anything that we've done besides a couple of little spaceships that we've shot out into space with like records that have Jimi Hendrix on them and, and you know, that sort of stuff. Besides that, no one really knows we exist that we know of, obviously. But um, if we were to get, you know, if, if a, a giant thing like the phalanx came and said, hey, you know, we miraculously we love your guys's culture we love earth's culture the, the the crazy people in america the you know the the awesome stuff in europe and asia africa all this stuff we're gonna just absorb you guys and then we just get absorbed into this giant collective consciousness and that's like that's it and then that's that's i'm not saying it could happen i'm not saying it couldn't happen but maybe that's what he's trying to explain because his ideas just get so lofty and, um, but yeah, that's my two cents on it. Cause I, I truly don't know. I just know that I love where this is going. I absolutely love where this is going. I am in it and I am on this ride until it gets off. I'm actually probably going to try and ride the ride multiple times. Um, I'm going to, I definitely want to get a fast pass for it for sure. But, um, but yeah, so that's, that's where it's left off. And so now next up, interestingly enough, next week is powers of 10, three. So we don't have to wait very long to figure out what's coming next. Hopefully, unless Hickman throws another curveball our way, but holy cow, I started this podcast and was like, okay, I only read three comics today. How am I going to be able to at least even get to 30 minutes? And here we are approaching an hour. So clearly Hickman's stuff is worth talking about. Like I said, I, I haven't talked with anybody about this, so if you've got thoughts, please let me know, and um, if you've got any questions, let me know too. I'll do my best to try and answer them, but just know that this was a knockout book. If you're wanting some fist pump moments, some great art, and a, just an amazingly intricate story, check out this series. So uh, for all things comics and cinema, um, I'm your host, Alex Klein, and this is Comics and Cinema, and I will talk with you guys next time.